God, if it is well in our world, it is because of you. Not because of us, not because of our hard work or effort or trying to do things right. God, it's because of you. Your goodness, your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness through Jesus. God, thank you that it can be well with our souls, even the storms rage around us. And we're going to be looking this morning more at Paul. And he had a storm that was raging around him, not because of anything that he was doing wrong, but because people were offended by what he was doing, because he was preaching you. And God, we want to be people who are always representing you in the very best ways in our world. And so thank you that no matter what storm we might find ourselves in, our souls can be well because of you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So it is about the strangest day of weather out there. Uh, just told there's another big cell moving through, and if it happens to hit us and all the power goes down, you know what, don't panic. You're in the safest place you can be. The storms around us, here they are. Uh, you know, talk about storms. Sometimes we, we don't always celebrate what it is that God is doing. We talk about God at work. And we don't always come back with the, the good things, the great things that we see and hear and are a part of. And I got one for you this morning. A few weeks ago, we prayed a guy off. It, it seems like it was a long time ago. For him, it was a lot longer. Steve Larson, man, we love Steve Larson. He's been around here from forever. Uh, from the beginning, he is a staple in our win tonight, North 40, with our young people. And he went down to the cities, and he had some really serious uh, medical stuff going on, kind of took him out of his life for a while. And some of you joined some of us here, and we just have been praying like crazy. Man, I got the greatest God gift this morning when Steve came walking in the door. Smile on his face, and he's with us in the back. Steve, welcome back. Thank you for being an example to not just our young people, to all of us. Man, you are just, you are one of those solid followers of Jesus that we can learn from. Thank you. Good to have you back with us, man. So Paul is fighting this battle. He's fighting the people he shouldn't have to be fighting. If you've got your Bibles, uh, I did this last week. I'm going to do it today. Uh, lift your Bible up. If you don't have it, bring it with you next week. What I said, and this is absolutely what I mean, this is our truth. We live in a world that tries to redefine truth, tries to tell us that things that are absolutely ridiculous are truthful. Things that are literally impossible are right, but this is our truth. And so we're going to go back to our truth today. Galatians 2, we're going to talk about Paul some more. Uh, he, this letter is to three churches in Galatia. And as God's chosen and anointed and appointed leader and missionary and pastor, Paul should be supported and encouraged and financed by his home church in Jerusalem. Because what Paul is doing is preaching the fulfillment of all of their Old Testament texts and prophecies. Instead, what he's finding himself in is the middle of a storm because his own church and the leaders in his own church are coming after him. You know, we would call them today maybe legalists or fundamentalists. They were more concerned about Paul making sure that people kept their rules then they were concerned about new life and transformation in Jesus. And so we're going to keep going in Galatians 2. And so often, you know, we find ourselves in similar situations and we, we don't exactly know what to do about it. So we make it up. We make up our own way. And yet Paul gives us a great example on how to handle these kinds of people that we can all still face in our lives and unfortunately in the church today. So chapter 2 is in Jerusalem. Fourteen years, he's going back and he's, he's writing this letter to the churches in Galatia. And what he's really doing is sharing his testimony. 
And I said last week that you've all got a testimony of God's grace at work in your life. And the question is, are you living in that testimony and are you sharing it? Paul is sharing his testimony. Verse 1, chapter 2. Fourteen years later, I went back to Jerusalem again. This time with Barnabas and Titus came along. Interesting. Uh, Barnabas was a Jewish man. Titus was a Gentile man. These guys were his best friends. You know, Timothy is the young disciple that he kind of takes under his wing. And he says, I, I became like a father in the faith to him. But these guys are his friends. These are his, his co-missionaries. Interestingly, Titus is not Jewish by birth. He said, I went there because God revealed to me that I should go. While I was there, I met privately with those considered to be leaders of the church and shared with them the message I had been preaching to the Gentiles. I wanted to make sure that we were in agreement for fear that all my efforts had been wasted and I was running the race for nothing. And they supported me and didn't even demand their, my companion Titus be circumcised, even though he was a Gentile. What he's saying and that they're hearing and understanding is Titus was a non-believer, a sinner, a Gentile, who had committed his life to Jesus and been transformed as a Christian. But what Titus had never done, that Barnabas and Paul and all these people who are attacking him all had done, was to commit themselves to the law of Moses. And, and that's the problem. So often in the church, we commit ourselves to a denomination. We commit ourselves to a political party. We commit ourselves to an ideology or a way of thinking. Titus committed himself to Jesus. And what Paul is talking about is these two men along with him are far more concerned about what Jesus has done for them and what Jesus has said than they are about what the Jewish church leaders have ever done or said. So Paul spent years alone, and he spent those years, uh, he went to Arabia, he said, learning, and, and he said he didn't learn it by human knowledge, he learned it because he was, he was communing with God. So important as new believers and as maturing Christians, and all of us are maturing in our faith, that we spend time alone in God's Word and in prayer. Now, even that question came up, he says, uh, the idea of Titus in verse 6. Even that question came up only because some of the so-called believers there, false ones really, not actually believers, people who were there to represent themselves as believers, we might call them wolves, who were secretly brought in, and they sneaked in to spy on us, to trip us up, to catch us. They weren't there as our friends. They were there to find fault with what we were doing and bring the story back. Wolves in the early church. They wanted to do what? Take away the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. What is the freedom? The freedom is that they're no longer bound to the law. If you grew up in a church or if you still believe that the only way you're going to heaven is by doing more right things than wrong things. If you believe that your actions are the most important, your good works, the things that you do are, are outweighing the, the, bad, the good things you do outweigh the bad things that you do, you've missed the point completely. The point is that we are saved by grace alone through Jesus Christ. Our salvation comes from Him, not through our good works. That doesn't mean we don't do good things as Christians. That doesn't mean that not responsible to do good things for the people in the world around us. But taking away the freedom is to say, you know what, Jesus isn't enough. You've got to follow the rules. And that's why we still got these legalists and religionists in the church that love to point their finger at everybody's faults. Everything that they see, everybody else is doing wrong. Now, curiously, they never look at themselves. 
These Jewish people weren't looking at their own faults. They were just concerned that Paul had watered down their message and he was letting people in too easily. They weren't having to earn it when in fact the only way that we earn salvation is from Jesus. They sneaked in to spy on us and take away the freedom we have in Christ Jesus. They wanted to enslave us and force us to follow their Jewish regulations, their rules, their laws. You had to do everything right or you'd never get to heaven. That's what they were trying to teach. And Paul says, no. Jesus does it all for us. But we refused to give in to them for a single moment. We wanted to preserve the truth of the gospel message for you. They wanted to force religion on Paul and the converts in order to control them. See, here's the thing. When people are more concerned about your sin than your salvation, they're just trying to control you. When they're more concerned about what it is that they see wrong with you than what it is that Jesus sees right in you, the problem isn't with you. The problem is with them. And we love to believe that our good deeds and the things that we control are what get us into heaven because we can keep score. We love to keep score. And for some people, it's almost like for heaven to be a free gift of salvation through Jesus, well, it's too easy. We've got to work at it. We, 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 you know, no, nobody gets anything for free. And that's what they're telling Paul. And Paul's saying, no, we're going to preserve the truth of the gospel. And the leaders of the church uh, had nothing to, to add to what I was preaching. By the way, their reputation as great leaders made no difference to me, for God has no favorites. Hear that one, folks. God has no favorites. You are not better than the person next to you or the person down the street or the person you are most upset with. God has no favorites. In the church, we love to create favorites. In the world, we love to create favorites. Instead, they saw that God had given me the responsibility of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as he had given Peter the responsibility of preaching to the Jews. Two men... Both called to share the good news of the gospel. Paul started with the Jews, moved to the Gentiles. That's all of us. Peter stayed and taught the Jews. For the same God who worked through Peter as the apostle to the Jews also worked through me as apostle to the Gentiles. See, the thing is that so often the people who consider themselves to be in charge want to control everything. I told you about that pastor that didn't want the Holy Spirit at loose in his church because his comment was, well, when he's here, when it's here, he called the Holy Spirit an it. When it's here, I lose control. Absolutely. That's the point. We want God in control. But the religious people don't. They want to be in, in control. In fact, James, Peter, and John, who were known as pillars of the church, recognized the gift that God had given me. And they accepted Barnabas and me as their co-workers, another Jew and him. They encouraged us to keep preaching to the Gentiles while they continued their work with the Jews. Their only suggestion was that we keep on helping the poor, which I have always been eager to do. Paul preaches the full gospel, not a watered-down version. Yes, we should take care of those folks who are less fortunate, who have run into troubles in the world. See, the thing is that the Jewish leaders wanted a weighted-down gospel. They wanted a weighted down gospel that they'd have to slog through life trying to do all the things right rather than living in the freedom that they have in their new life in Jesus. But Paul wouldn't let that go. When, Paul came to, when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him face to face. There's a disagreement now between these two missionaries. For what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. When he first showed up, he was a friend to everyone. 
He did like Jesus. He went to the house of sinners, to Gentiles, and He had, had meals with them. He went out and, and spent time with people who weren't doing the right things. Peter was doing exactly what the Gospel called him to do. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision, keeping the law, keeping the rules. As a result, the other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. See, the Judaizers, that's what we call this group of religious people, they thought Christianity was only an extension of Judaism. They didn't understand that Jesus was the response, the fulfillment of everything they'd ever learned. And so often we miss the point as well. It isn't about us at all, folks. It's all about Jesus. It isn't even about what we do, although we have a responsibility. It's about what Jesus did for us and us being able to be a reflection of that. What is Peter's hypocrisy? Peter's hypocrisy was that he was double-minded. See, he went and he did the right thing, if you want to keep score. He went and met and ate and, and preached and spent time and befriended the Gentiles, the sinners, people like you and I. But then when the Jews came, when the religious people who kept score showed up, Peter stopped doing that because he wanted to make sure they understood he was very Jewish. He was double-minded, and yet the Bible says we're supposed to be hot or cold, or Jesus is going to spit us out of his mouth. Paul is calling him on it. What would be an example in our world? What would be an example in our world is something like this. That we've got our church clothes and our church face and our church vocabulary and our church friends, whether it's a Wednesday night or a Sunday morning in church or whether we do a Bible study. But then on Friday night at the bar, we've got a whole other bunch of friends, a whole different group of people. And they know us in a completely different way than the Sunday morning crowd does. Who are you? Which one? What Paul was calling out in Peter was, which one are you, Peter? Are you trying to earn man's approval or are you trying to earn God's approval? Because if you're worried about God's approval, then hanging out with the sinners is the right thing to do to teach them about Jesus. But if you're worried about man's approval, yeah, ignore them and just hang out with the religious folks. Just hang out with the people who are keeping score. How does it translate to our world just that way? Are you consistent with who you are all the time? Are you as consistent on Friday as you are on Sunday? Do all the people who know you pretty much know the same person? Or do you have to change faces? Do you have to put on a different mask? Double-minded, meaning I'm one person this direction and I'm a different one with this crowd. And Paul says, it doesn't work that way. Peter, I'm going to call you out. In front of all these people, I'm going to call you out because you're not preaching the truth of the gospel. And he didn't want people to be led astray by his actions. When I saw that they weren't following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all the others, since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? Peter goes, I'm living free in Christ, but I'm going to make them follow the rules. Oh my goodness, do we have churches full of people like that? If there's a little bit of position, if they know a few more Bible verses than somebody else, if they've been a believer longer than someone else, they are going to be the one that, that makes sure those everybody else follows the rules and call out the sin. And Paul says, what are you going to be, Peter? Which one? How are you going to do it? Which way are you going to roll? He says, you and I, Peter, we're Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles. You and I, see, we're, we're sinners like the Gentiles because we are the Gentiles. Who do you see as less than you? 
Who do you see as not having a place in the church family and, and not as deserving as you are? Who do you see that, that needs to work for it and keep the rules, even though maybe you've been around longer and you can, you can kind of avoid some of them? There's always people who think the rules are meant for someone else. That's what Paul is talking about. You and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles, yet we know that a person is made right. This is where Paul begins to preach. We know that a person is made right by God, by his faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the laws. It isn't by being a perfect citizen that you go to heaven. It's because Jesus died for your sins and paid the price that we go to heaven. We believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we've obeyed the law. I said something a few weeks ago. What do you have your faith in? A lot of people have faith in their faith, not faith in Jesus. When you have faith in your faith, what you're really doing is saying, well, I know who Jesus is, and I know what it takes to get to heaven, and I'm a really good person, and I do a lot more things right than the other people. At least I'm not like them. At least I'm not like those sinners. That's having faith in your faith, and that's not getting you to heaven. Paul makes sure that we understand. No one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. We're all sinners. We all will be. We're saved by God's grace shown in Jesus, not by our own goodness. There is no amount of good that you can do. I don't care how many hours a day you spend, how much money you give away. I don't care what you do for other people. There's no amount of good in your life that's going to be good enough to get you to heaven. The only way that we're able to know salvation and spend eternity in heaven is by putting our faith in Jesus, not by putting our faith in our own actions. And he goes on, he says, but suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ and then are found guilty because we have abandoned the law. That's what's happening. He's being accused of abandoning the law, but he has found freedom in Jesus and that's what he's preaching. Would that mean that Christ has led us into sin because that's what he's being accused of? Absolutely not. Rather, I am a sinner. If I rebuild the old system of law that I already tore down, what he's saying is once you become a Christian, you cannot hold on to keeping the law and your own good works as though that's going to get us to heaven any more than you can point to other people and say you have to or you can't or you're not allowed or you're a bad person. You're not a good Christian. That's what Paul's talking about. For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. Religion condemned him because he realized he could never keep it. The more you focus on keeping the law, if you're going to be honest, maybe you keep it better than somebody else you know. But you don't keep it well enough. We break it far more often than we keep it. So I died to the law, he says. I stopped trying to meet all of its requirements so that I might live for God. That's why we talk about dying for ourselves and living for Jesus. What is baptism? Baptism is when the old self dies when we go into the water and the new creation of us comes out. He says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Who lives in you? What lives in you? Is it the fun person that hangs out on Friday and is the life of the party? Or is it the one who dearly and desperately knows that they need Jesus? See, Paul's saying that we, we can't be both. That old self has to die for the new person in us to rise. My old self has to be crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, 
but Christ who lives in me. What will save you? What do you believe will save you? Keeping the law or God's grace and the free gift of salvation in Jesus? And do you live that way? Because if you're still pointing out other people's sins, if you're still trying to earn your way to heaven, you haven't died to the law. You're living in the law. So I live in this earthly body, Paul says, by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the message, folks, right there. Do you live in this earthly body, trusting in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you, gave his life to pay the penalty for your sin because there's no way in the world you can do enough in your life to pay the penalty yourself. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. See, we like to substitute rules for Jesus. We don't like the idea that that somebody would have to die because we're not good people. So we make rules and we try to keep the rules. And then we try to force other people to keep the rules because we know that if we can know enough and point out enough of their sin we're going to feel really good about ourselves and paul says that's not the way it works it doesn't work that way keeping the law doesn't make us right with god and if it did there's no reason for christ to die if we believe that our good deeds will get us to heaven what we're doing is making a mockery of Christ's death on the cross. When we choose to be the people who point out the sins of others and say, you have to try harder, you have to do more, you have to quit doing that, you are putting yourself and your judgment in Jesus' place. And the American church has gotten really good at preaching that gospel because that's a score that we can keep. But Paul says when he preaches the truth of the gospel, it's all about grace. It's all about what Jesus has done for us. We like to make up our own religions where we're the hero, but in fact, the only hero in the story is Jesus and what He did for us. See, Jesus, in His death on the cross, justified us, even as sinners. To be justified is to be made right. God makes you righteous. Not the good that you do, not the good that I do. God makes us righteous through Jesus. And so the question is, Does God live in you? Does Jesus live in you? Or does your pride live in you? Because that's what it boils down to. The Jewish people attacking Paul were filled with pride. They were arrogant. They wanted to believe that their set of rules was more important than God's only Son and His sacrificial death for our sins. Does Jesus live in you? Or do your rules live in you? Are you more concerned about what Jesus has done for you or about what other people are doing wrong? If you're more concerned about what they're doing wrong, pride lives in you. Pride has the place that Jesus died to take in your heart. So often we go around talking and behaving like the worst of the world that we say that we hate instead of acting like the best of Jesus. Think about that. It's so easy to get caught up in this negative whirlpool of garbage in our world. And we end up talking and acting and behaving and believing like the worst of the world rather than talking and acting and behaving like the best of Jesus. If you find yourself caught in that trap, that's a pretty good sign as to what's alive in you. Is Jesus alive in you or is your pride alive in you? One of my professors at the seminary used to have an example. I've never forgotten it. 
She said, our job as Christians who understand that we're saved by the grace of God through the sacrificial death of Jesus, we should walk through life like we've got two five-gallon pails full of grace water. And our job is to splash grace on everybody around us. Not to judge them, not to condemn them, but to splash God's grace on them because God gives us a grace shower every day. I love that imagery. Are you sharing and spreading God's grace freely? Or are you just expecting to bathe in it yourself? See, see, the truth is, it's by the grace of God we're all here today. The grace of God is a gift that we don't earn and we don't deserve. Grace is the one thing that you can give away freely and never run out of because it isn't yours in the first place. Whatever grace you have in your life, whatever grace you have experienced, is a gift of God to you. And our opportunity, our responsibility as a Christian is to pass that grace along. We're going to celebrate a reminder of, of one of the single greatest things that has ever happened to humanity. If you're a believer in Jesus, it is the single greatest thing that has ever happened. That is the day that God sent His Son to die in our place. That is grace that we don't deserve. Our sin, the Bible says, is punishable by death. That's God's price. When we make all the rules and when we create the religion, we're trying to build another set of laws that say, you know what, your sin isn't that bad, you don't have to die for it. But you know what, God wrote the book, we didn't. And what is Holy Communion? Holy Communion is very simply this. It is the time that we set aside to remember the Lord's death until He comes again. There is a reminder There's a command and a responsibility to remember, and there's a promise that He's coming. In this crazy, chaos-filled storm of a world that we live in, Jesus is coming back. And the question is, are you going to live your life from now until living for Him, or are you going to live for somebody else's idea of rules that don't make a bit of difference in the end? If you're helping to serve communion this morning, I'll invite you to come forward now and we'll get ready. As we take the time between now and when you actually come forward, it's a good opportunity for you to acknowledge to God your powerlessness, your need for a Savior, and your gratefulness for the grace that God has extended to you as one of His children. For some people, it's a good time to confess your sins. Just, you know what, God, here's what I know what I did wrong. Man, I, I goof this thing up and I know it's a sin and I know it breaks your heart. God, please forgive me. Communion doesn't forgive us. Communion is a reminder of the price that Jesus paid so that we could be forgiven. And so on the night in which He was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread, and when He had blessed it and when He had given thanks, He gave it to them to eat, saying, This is My body given for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. We are to remember the Lord's death until He comes again. Then after the meal, He took the cup, and when He had blessed it and when He had given thanks... He gave it to them to drink, saying, This cup is the new covenant or the new promise in my blood shed for you and for many. Do this in the remembrance of me. Let's pray. God, you bless us with grace that we do not deserve. You bless us with love and favor that we have not earned. And God, you bless us with Jesus who does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Thank you for how strong Paul is. He is standing up against the criticism. He's standing up against the negative voices. He's standing up against those people who would silence him and stop his ministry. Because, God, he wants nothing more than the truth of your gospel to be proclaimed. 
God, we want to hear that truth. We want to understand that truth. We want to know it, and we want to live in it. Thank you for what it is that you did for Jesus. In his death on the cross, God, you made it possible for us to have a right relationship with you, to be righteous in your eyes, not because of us or anything that we do, but because of Jesus and what he did for us. As we come forward now for communion, God, help us to remember Jesus' death. Help us to remember it is because of our sin that he went to the cross. Help us to remember to give you thanks because there's nothing we can do that would ever take the place of what Jesus did for us. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. So there will be bread and uh, juice or wine in the chalice. Take a piece of bread. You can dip it in the lighter colored liquid, which is the grape juice, or the darker, which is the wine. If you want individual communion kits, those are available on the outside. Cindy is here to give a blessing to the kids. Uh, Come forward whenever you are ready. If you need to take some time and spend it with God before you come up, please feel free to do that. Uh, The prayer lights are on in the corner. If you'd like someone to pray with you throughout the time or at any time in the service, you're welcome to do that as well. Please stand. Let's continue to worship as we celebrate communion. So this battle that we're reading about that Paul is facing is 2,000 years old. And it hasn't ended because it continues in the church today because the enemy of God wants you to focus on you, not on the one who saves you. He wants you to be more worried about you and what you're doing or, or even worse, to be worried about what other people are doing than on what God has done for you. So are you living in the grace of the gospel that Paul is talking about and going out into the world and splashing that grace that you don't deserve? but that will never run out on everybody around you that you possibly can? Or are you living bound and a slave to the law to point out the sins and the shortcomings of others? See, really, it's one of the two. Paul is talking about law and grace. And which do we live to serve? One is the gospel of grace of Jesus. The other is pride without Jesus. For which one are you living? Are you sharing the grace that you have received from God with others? Or are you only focused about the law where they might be falling short and doing something wrong? The prayer lines have moved to the front. The lights are on. The lines are forming. God is waiting. Your appointment is ready for you. Uh, We talked a couple weeks ago. I said, you know, I don't understand how we don't have lines uh, going off of our prayer stations because the people who come up for prayer know that the power, the real power in this world is what we access when we give ourselves to God. And maybe that means standing over here and talking to one of these folks. Maybe it means doing it where you are. But here's the thing. The one who showers you with grace is ready and waiting to shower you with more. And he is there waiting for you. One more song before you go. Thanks for coming, everybody. Have a great day.